Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. Father, I ask that you open our eyes today and uh, your word says, Father, you would rather us hot or cold than to be lukewarm. And Father, may we rediscover and reconnect with our passion for you, our passion for living. And, uh, you know, just real fire on the inside to get done the things we need to get done in our lives. Father, and we give you all the glory for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say amen. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to be in a very, very, very familiar portion of Scripture. We are going to look at, we're going to jump around a little bit, but we're going to look at the narrative of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Uh, 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. Now the Philistines were a very advanced warlike people that migrated from the uh, Greek Isles, uh, the Greek islands. And uh, the Bible says they had an enormous army. Now uh, we, we get an account of the size of the army a few chapters later. But they had over 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the Bible says that they numbered like the sand of the sea, so uh, on the seashore. So they were innumerable. Uh, They were folks, again, that got on uh, ships, uh, came across the Aegean Sea, and uh, they, they were very fruitful. They multiplied and became very, very, very powerful, and they had many... Uh, other tribes that they also conquered that they kind of absorbed uh, into their own. Verse 2, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together against this daunting army. It's a very, very intimidating situation. And they encamped in the Valley of Elah, which still exists today. Uh, It's a valley with two ridges on on, on both sides. Uh, And and as you know, uh, one of of the most basic and universal strategies of of war is to maintain the high ground. Everyone in war wants to maintain the high ground. So for either side to attack, uh, basically it was a suicide mission. You were going to lose a whole lot of your men as you tried to go upside, go up the other hill. Everyone wanted to maintain the advantage on either side of the valley. So, you know, it was this big, you know, uh, uh, stalemate, if you will. And this stalemate lasted for about uh, 30 days. I'm sorry, 40 days. And verse 3, the Philistines stood on uh, a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley or empty space between them. So this was basically a game of chicken at this point. I mean, they're staring each other down and uh, uh, it, it, everyone is, 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 is immobilized and no one is willing to really, really make a move here. And then finally, a champion. And by the way, the, the Greeks practice something called ordeal by combat, ordeal by combat. Now, some people call it a, a trial by con- combat, and it takes many different forms. You remember the old duels uh, where people would go to do, and the idea was whoever was right would win the duel because God was on their side. So what would happen in a ordeal by combat, two of the strongest soldiers from both armies would, would come down and they would battle to the death, and both armies probably uh, Promise to accept the, the, the winner of the, of, the, of the fight as the judgment of the gods. So this is the type of battle that we're about to, 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 to study. And this type of battle, by the way, ultimately saved thousands of lives because, you know, uh, in the long run, 
one would die for perhaps, or instead of uh, a thousands or thousands. Uh, so let me see if I said it more clearly. What would happen is one guy might get killed from your side, but the soldiers uh, would not die, uh, or not as many soldiers would die, going up trying to ascend that, that, that valley as would otherwise. So basically this, this was done in history to, to spare uh, lives. And it says, and a champion, which is here, a proxy warrior, a proxy warrior. Um, by the way, this should help us understand the cross, uh, where one man's victory liberates everyone who was on his side. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So he's roughly around nine feet tall. Here's a video I want to show you really quickly of a man in 1914, 1915-ish uh, from Chicago that was nine feet seven, nine feet seven. Let's take a look at this video. All right, good. And here is another amazing picture of a teenager from Michigan, he's still alive today, that is over eight feet uh, tall. So, uh, you know, we, we, we do have men uh, and, and women, well, more men of this height, uh, but I've heard stories of uh, huge ladies as well. And we see that not only in Bible history, we also find that in extra biblical accounts that there was a period where we had very, very tall human beings uh, in pockets throughout the earth. He had a bronze helmet, this is Goliath, on his head. So he not only had incredible size, we're about to discover he had incredible equipment, uh, equi the, the, the very best armaments of the age he wore. So he's this huge specimen, plus he has the best possible protection, the best offensive and defensive gear. And he was armed with a coat of mail. Let's get verse six. A bronze, there were bronze armor on his legs, bronze javelin between his shoulders. So again, from a human point of view, uh, Goliath was like a tank. I mean, you, there, there was nothing you could do to stop a man like Goliath except get another man of, of that size or, or just incredible skill to defeat him. As far as the, the Israelites were concerned, he was totally invincible. Verse 8, then he stood, speaking of the giant, and he cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come up or why have you come out to line up for battle? Um, anyone, you know, ever have uh, things in your life kind of screaming at you, saying you can't, you won't, and you better not? This is what was happening with the Israelites, saying you can't defeat us, you better not even try, uh, don't do it. And, and he was mocking them, taunting them, you know, send your man down. And the devil's been doing this for centuries, you know, uh, taunting humanity, saying, you know, you can't defeat me, you'll never overcome me, you'll never get out of my bondage. But God, by his grace, did ultimately send his son down. But let's keep going. He said, am I not a Philistine? Uh, the Philistines, you know, are the inveterate armies of uh, the inveterate enemies of the people of God. And, uh, you know, am I not a Philistine? Aren't you uh, servants of Saul? You know, you know, we've had this, this long tension. Y'all supposed to come out and fight me. He said, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. Again, this is foreshadowing uh, Jesus. 
uh, who is called the son of David. So there are things in David's history, not only his lineage, Jesus is actually part of the lineage of David, but there's also things in David's life that reflects uh, what the Messiah would eventually uh, do. So uh, we have this image of, of the son of, of David coming out and fighting Goliath, just like the son of God would come down to, to fight the devil on our behalf. And uh, uh, because of his victory, everyone who followed him would win. But here is the agreement, verse 9. And if he is able, now Goliath is speaking, uh, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. So we see here everything was on the line. The whole future of the people of God was in the hands of, of, of one man. And, and here's the deal with Jesus. If Satan would have defeated him in any one area of his life, he would have become the servant of the devil and we would never be free. And I know that strikes us as odd. How, how could that happen? Well, we read the story, you know, years uh, or the narrative years after it occurred, there was a whole lot on the line when Jesus became a human being. Um, it's a little hard to, to wrap our, our, our heads around this, but here's what the Bible teaches. We are servants to whom we obey. We are servants to whatever we obey. So, you know, if I obey you, you become my master. And that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam decided, I'm going to listen to God instead of, I'm sorry, listen to the devil instead of listen to God. That would be like a, uh, an American general saying, I'm going to listen to Russia uh, instead of listening to my own government. So it was a form of treason and treachery. And if Jesus would have obeyed Satan on any point, he would have become the servant of Satan, and Satan would have become his master. And by the way, this is what the wilderness temptation was uh, all about. It was, it was all about Jesus showing us, as well as the devil, that uh, he is the master, he is the Lord. And uh, it, again, if he would have submitted to Satan's instructions, in fact, he would have been accepting Satan's lordship, and it would have impacted everything. So, uh, you know, uh, Jesus's sinless life, this is important, what was crucial for the cross. This is not just something that uh, is a matter of fact, you know, just incidentally, you know, he was a, a, a holy and pure man. Um, the reality is because he was the, the spotless, the sinless son of God, there was power in his blood that could change the, the entire world. Also, the fact that he was sinless proved that he was more than just a man. Because every man, even the best man like Adam, uh, born in the greatest environment, I mean, everything he needed was at his disposal, had a great relationship with God, even he failed. Uh, but Jesus had to be more than just a man in order to live a sinless life. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Again, everything is on the line here. And I want you to know that the pressure on Jesus at Gethsemane was unequaled in history. No one on this planet has ever faced the type of pressure that Jesus faced uh, at Gethsemane. Uh, because everything about world history, every person who has ever lived uh, up to that point and would live after that point would be impacted by Christ's decision. And the Philistines said, 
And this is important, uh, you know, be, because the righteous di di didn't have the courage to answer, the giant grew bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder. Uh, Edmund Burke said, and you've probably heard this said before, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing, for good people to do nothing. And what happened is good people did nothing. And uh, they, they, they just let the, the devil get bolder and bolder and bolder, or Goliath in this respect get bolder and bolder and bolder, and he taunted them and teased them and, and the rest. And, and watch what he said. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. In other words, I triple dog dare you, but he was also blaspheming. Uh, you know, the, the armies of Israel were the armies of God. Just like, you know, when you touch a person of God to, to harm them, you're actually touching God, the apple, uh, who though that person is the apple of their eye. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me, watch this, watch this, the man. Give me a man, not a horse, not a donkey, not a gorilla. Give me a man, only a man would do in this battle. And this is why the incarnation was important. God had to become a man. And when God became a man, that positioned him to, to, to fight and totally defeat the adversary on our half. Let's read it again. He said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, I'm talking about Jesus uh, fighting with the devil, but uh, I, I want to pull back a little bit and say to you that in Christ's pre-incarnate form, the devil was no contest for God. When Satan sinned, actually, the Bible said he fell like lightning, meaning, you know, God kicked him out faster than, you know, you could snap your finger. Uh, there's no battle between God and the devil. There's a battle between uh, the devil and man, but God, there's no contest. Uh, and I, I kind of liken it to this. Uh, let's say you had an enemy and that enemy hated you, but he couldn't defeat you. But you had a little baby this big and that baby was a little bit naive and played in your yard. What he might do is, 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 is he grab that child and because he has that child, he can now leverage you. And that's what uh, the devil did with humanity. God loves, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us and uh, the, the enemy couldn't defeat him. So he said, well, you know what? I'm gonna get the object of his heart. And that's the way the devil operates. He's a mean, ugly, and, and demonic, dark devil. That's why uh, we can't stand him. Uh, and uh, that's just, just a reality. Let's read it one more time. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So the, the birth of Jesus was, 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 was God by his mercy embracing the greatest handicap possible by becoming a human, by becoming a man. Um, the incarnation was, was, was like God saying to the devil, I will whip you with both hands tied behind my back. See, God whipped the devil as God like that. But God said, I will reduce myself. I will take the form of a human being. I'll become vulnerable where I will sweat, where I will get sleepy, where I will need food to eat, where I, I will have just limited uh, eyesight and, and, and earshot, if you will, and I'll even beat you that way. So you need to understand that the incarnation of Jesus was a big deal, and Jesus winning on the cross if God, should, should tell us if God could win as a man, I mean, he could humble himself to become a human being and still whip the devil. The devil has no hope because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And when King Saul and all the uh, Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly 
afraid. A person who remains intimate with God cannot stay intimidated by people. So when I'm afraid, what I've learned to do is draw closer. But, but obviously Saul did not do this. And we see something of the beginning of Saul's wandering from God in, in this verse. Uh, p- please know that, that we'll all be afraid at times. We, we will all experience fear at times, but we're not to stay afraid. And, you know, when I am afraid, I will trust in him, the psalmist says. So, you know, w- when I feel fear and, 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 and all that anxiety comes upon me, I keep taking it to the Lord. I bring myself to the Lord until it's squashed and handled. But some people say, well, I'm just a man of God. I don't fear. And you say that with a big eye, you're nothing. And the devil going to wipe you out because all you're doing is speaking out of pride. The reason I don't fear is because the greater ones in me and with me is because I have instruction from the most holy one of Israel. It's because the presence of the almighty is with me. That's what gives me confidence. So sometimes when I'm facing a crisis and it seems God is far away, that's a scary moment. And, and I, I will immediately start leaning into the Lord to, 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 to make sure, hey, God, listen, I can't win this. I need you. You know, you, it's your strength. It's your power. Uh, you know what? You sent me. Now I'm here because of you. So, Lord, you know, let's, let's have this exchange here. You know, help me, you know, get out of my weakness into your strength. And that's, that's really uh, vital. So don't just condemn yourself when you feel fear. Well, I shouldn't feel fear. Yeah, you shouldn't feel fear. But lean into God until the fear goes away. I know that that's typically... Uh, my strategy. Skip to 1 Samuel 17, 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Speaking of Goliath. So, you know, everyone was focused on the size of, 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 of the giant instead of the size of their God. And, and that's what the devil tries to do. He gets, tries to get our mind off of the bigness of God and onto the bigness of our Problem. So the issue is not, you know, how big is your challenge, but how big is the God on the inside of you? That's the big question that each of us have, have to answer. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Uh, he will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Now, back in, in the, the, the time of the kings, you couldn't tax the people more than 10%. And I wish we lived in, in those days. But still, it was a significant amount of money. So we have money, a princess bride, uh, uh, no taxes. Great riches was the money piece, okay? And, and, and I mean, this is huge. It's like, what? what? I mean, that, 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 that's huge. But number one, David was passionate about the king's reward. Everything God offers us is valuable. Nothing is to be taken lightly. Matter of fact, to take it lightly is basically to smack God in the face. It's like, this is God of the universe offering us something. And we're like, I, I don't need it. Who are you? I mean, when it comes to God's blessings, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to get mine. Uh, he, 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 man, he, he, he suffered too much, too long. They hit him too hard. They nailed him too high for me not to tap into what he died that I might obtain. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach or the shame, the disgrace from Israel? So we see that David fought with his reward on his mind, which is important. And one of the quickest ways to lose your, your passion, by the way, is, is to, to, to embrace a martyr's mentality. Uh, you know, when, when you become just a victim of woe is me and, and you know what, there's nothing good going to happen to me. Yeah, I do the right thing, but it doesn't ever work for me. You see, in everything God, God requires, he's not trying to 
take anything from us. He's trying to get something to us. And David understood that about God. And he didn't see himself as a martyr. He recognized that there was a reward that God had for him. And David continues. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Number two, David was passionate about God. In fact, I could even add, it'd be part or 2A, if you will. He was passionate about the honor of God. Jesus was the same way. Remember when Jesus turned over the tables in the temple? And the, and he, uh, the, the, the disciples remembered uh, the scripture where it said, the zeal of the Lord has consumed me. Jesus was passionate about the reputation of God. And the fact that the Gentiles, when they came into the temple to try to worship or get near the God of Israel, they had all these merchants and they couldn't even uh, really uh, be attentive to, to the things of God in that area. So Jesus got upset about it. It was, it was dishonoring to the Father. And likewise, uh, when Jesus teaches us how to pray, the first thing he says, you know, we pray, our God, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means respected, sanctified. And God wanted, I'm sorry, Jesus wanted God's name to have respect and to be honored. And, and frankly, that's one of my passions as well, and probably one of yours. I want the name of the Lord to be honored in the earth. I, I, I don't like the dishonor that's attributed to his house, his people, or his name. So David was passionate about God and a passionate about God's honor. And this is uh, one of the points that caused him to be successful in this, this battle. For he who is, uh, sorry, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the what? Living God. The giant in front of you is never greater than the God that lives on the inside of you. Now, it's easier said than lived out, but it's a truth, and we got to believe it. David lived this thing out. Now, a lot of people will conceptualize these things, sing about these things, say these things, but few people will step into the battle like David to prove these things in their lives. And this is what I want each of you to do. Let's skip to verse 31. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. Number three, Passion makes people talk. Passion makes people talk. I like what John Wesley said. He said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come just to watch you burn. And that's, that's true. And John Wesley's ministry impacted uh, uh, England and, and the United States uh, because of, 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 of him understanding this. And he, speaking of King Saul, sent for for, for, for David. So the world makes room for passionate people. The world makes room for passionate people. The world makes room for passionate people. And many of the greatest people on the planet were passionate about their ideas, passionate about their commitments, and, and the world remembers them because it wasn't typically just an idea. There was a passion behind the idea. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Basically, he's like, I got this. When you have a genuine relationship with God, you look at things differently. You look at enemies differently. You look at giants differently. You look at circumstances differently. As far as David was concerned, it wasn't about his age or his personal size as much as his God. And sometimes we look at certain things, just like even this COVID crisis, we just look at it through the eyes of uh, the doctors and, and what some of the politicians are saying. Um, but David wasn't looking at it just with natural eyes. He looked at it in the eyes of the spirit. And he was like, listen, this guy's an uns 
uncircumcised uh, Philistine. He doesn't have a covenant with the Almighty God. How could he defy the armies of the living God? And uh, he, he got upset about it. And uh, he was like, you know what? I've I, I heard from the Lord. And he, the Bible doesn't say that, but, but you know he's acting uh, out of uh, the presence of God in his life. And uh, he was like, you know what? It's not going to go down like that. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.